Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we do thank you for this new day, uh, a day given by you, a day in which we may have life through you in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Speak to us now by the work of his Spirit and your Spirit, Heavenly Father, that we might uh, glorify you, that we might reflect that we have heard your word and that indeed it is active in our hearts and minds and the actions of our hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, I wonder uh, when it comes to knowing people, uh, how you go at feeling like you achieve that. You see, the challenge of knowing people, the different people in our lives, is that uh, we can observe one thing or another, uh, but people are a little bit more complicated than simple, aren't they? We love having things simplified, but simplifying things in, in life and we apply it to people means we can sort of hold it together in our minds and, and feel like we've got things under control. Uh, but the challenge when it comes to people in particular is uh, when those simple things seem to be in conflict with one another. So, for example, just to pull one out of the air, uh, what about uh, uh, can someone be both confident and humble? Do you know what I mean? Because uh, it feels like those things are in conflict. Can someone be uh, 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 a leader and a follower? You know, this is the sort I'm talking about. Can, can someone... Well, enough examples. The, the reason I bring this up today, of course, is because people have different views of Jesus. And one of the, the great challenges that I think is, is because not only is Jesus uh, fully uh, human like us, and that would make him complex enough, he's also uh, the son of God uh, come into the world. Now, if people are hard enough uh, to get your head around who they are, it's not, not impossible, uh, then, of course, we should expect that Jesus is not going to fit into our simple pigeonhole categories. And one of the areas where this is uh, most obvious is when it comes to what is our theme, uh, well, not just in today, uh, today's passage, but actually going on throughout Luke, that Jesus is challenger and comforter. He challenges those who hear him and he will challenge us today and he comforts people as well. And as we hear his voice, he will comfort us today. We live in a world, and maybe you've experienced it yourself, where, where people, uh, you get the impression from people sometimes that if you don't just affirm everything they think and do, uh, then you're not loving them. Uh, whereas Jesus projects a very different view of the world, doesn't he? You can both challenge people where they need to be challenged and be indeed loving them. Luke wrote his gospel, as uh, Peter reminded us uh, earlier, the other Peter uh, reminded us earlier, uh, so that we might know the certainty of the things that we have believed. And as we've read through chapters 1 to 9, we've met Jesus as he is, uh, fully human, but indeed the Son of God. Uh, God himself among us and demonstrating God's authority over us. Uh, but the uh, effect of that has been a growing conflict and that conflict is really brewing in chapters uh, 9 onwards. 
And so uh, as we come uh, to our passage today, we see uh, some of that conflict heightened, uh, but we also see how we may enter the kingdom of God. And so uh, in order to see that with clarity, I actually want to jump to the third episode in our reading today from 14 verse 1. And uh, thank you, Ian. I'm, I've, I've got to remember to mention when we should change slides. Not very good at doing two things at once, is the old Roger, but there you go. The young Roger wasn't any better. Uh, 14 verse 1, uh, one Sabbath, and if you've got your Bibles in front of you, do open them. One Sabbath, when Jesus uh, went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Well, just to orient ourselves, the Sabbath day, the seventh day, was, of course, uh, the day of rest uh, each week for God's people, the Israelites, who'd been given a command from God to rest from work on that day uh, as his people Israel, as the children of Abraham. And uh, it actually reflected back to God creating humanity and the climax of humanity, which was people at peace uh, with one another and in their relationship with God. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders in their roles uh, were meant to promote the law of God. Indeed, in fact, they were meant to promote uh, the character uh, and the knowledge of God. And <clears throat> it seems that that is not what they have succeeded in doing by the time we get to this episode. What is, what is the most extraordinary thing uh, that happens in this episode? A lot more airtime is given to the conflict, but what's the most extraordinary thing? Jesus healed this man and sent him on his way. He saved him from the effects of sin that he was experiencing, not because of anything he had done, but because of what we humanity had done collectively, taken our I-know-better attitude to God uh, uh, in the way we treat each other. I know better than you. And in the way we treat God, I know better than God. So don't lose sight of that. But at the same time, there is this extraordinary conflict. And it seems to be the character of Jesus that he divides people, which again doesn't seem very much you know, in keeping with the culture of our day where we are often hearing the message about the importance of not dividing people but uniting people. We'll come back to that. So these Pharisees and law keepers uh, had a rule which was you couldn't heal someone on the Sabbath because healing was work and you weren't meant to work on the Sabbath. And so when Jesus says to them, you know, here's this person in front of them, in front of him, and clearly from what's happened in the past, and even just earlier in chapter 13, there's a parallel with a woman that Jesus heals. Uh, here is a person in need. And Jesus has demonstrated he's a person who can meet that need. He is here to save people. And so he asks them the question, 
Is it lawful? And what is their response? Silence. Silence. It's as if the question makes it so self-evident of what is right is what and what reflects the character of God, even though it goes against what they think and what they have promoted in the name of God, that they choose to say nothing and in that way bring judgment on themselves. Jesus, he knows the answer. He reflects the character and compassion of God, the love of God, the desire to save people and he heals him and when he does he says these words if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the sabbath day will you not immediately pull it out and so jesus heals those who are in need who are enslaved to the effects of sin indeed to sin itself and shows us what god is really like He's not a rule keeper. He's the God of compassion and mercy. Well, running on from that spot, the Lord loves us, uh, but we come to the first episode we heard read out from verse 22. And uh, Jesus uh, is making his way around the northern end of uh, Israel, around the Sea of Galilee. He's teaching uh, and preaching. And someone asks him a question, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved uh, because of what he's done and said before? In fact, Jesus doesn't answer that question as such. Uh, His answer reflects uh, a more important question that could have been asked, which is how might we enter the kingdom of God? How might we be counted among the not few but many? who will experience the good promises of God. And so he said to them, and we'll read this from uh, verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Now, those don't sound like very affirming words, do they? That doesn't sound like Jesus saying all comers can come, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you have done. And yet that is what uh, he is saying. Let me explain. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever extended an invitation for something? Uh, maybe you've had a, a birthday celebration. Uh, I was talking to someone just this morning. They went to a 50th uh, yesterday. Uh, maybe you have given out invitations. Now, this is just a generalisation, but I've discovered uh, that in life, just as a generalisation, that the older you are, the more prepared you are and the more lead time people are given plenty of time that people are given to respond and say they're coming and even that before the event. Whereas the younger you are, well, three hours is pretty generous, isn't it? Uh, And and I also want to uh, ask you, in inviting people where you've given plenty of time, have you ever 
found that someone gets back to you after that time has expired, when it's actually too late because of the arrangements or the bookings that you made? Anyone had that experience? Yeah? yeah, yeah. Uh, I just thought I'd get on the front foot and apologise now in advance for whenever I do that to you. Okay. Uh, well, what Jesus is doing here, he's making a gracious extending an extraordinary invitation to those who heard him then and to you and I today. He is saying you uh, may be members of the kingdom of God and, and many of us here today are already. It's an extraordinary invitation and the challenge that's sometimes put to us, the charge that's sometimes placed against God is that it is unkind or unloving or unfair that he should say, or we should project him as saying, that there is a day where the invitation will expire, when the door will be closed, when those who thought they were on the inside find themselves to be on the outside. And yet, in God's word, we see both are true. God is right and gracious in extending such an extraordinary invitation, but he is also right and just in it having an expiry date. What should we do in response? Well, we'll continue back to that. We'll come back round to that in a minute. The thing is, the whole history of the Old Testament uh, before Jesus comes uh, reflects that the kingdom of God will be extraordinary. It'll be a return to that uh, Sabbath rest uh, of creation, peace with God and peace with one another. It's pictured as a feast, a feast. And who doesn't like a feast? Who hasn't been feasting in the last couple of weeks? Uh, but Jesus says uh, to those uh, religious leaders, those people who had a, an appearance of trusting God but didn't have the repentance that he truly looks for. He says, Then you will say, We ate and drank with you and, taught in your, in our, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. And then Jesus goes on to say, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and north and south and will take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. The extraordinary thing about what Jesus is doing here is he's loving us by giving this warning, loving us by showing both the invitation and the expiry date. Warnings are loving. Uh, we're up at uh, CMS Summer School this week uh, and any of you who at uh, CMS, our uh, missionary partner organisation, any of you who've been up into the mountains uh, at any time uh, and gone to some of the, the beautiful scenic lookouts there will have seen uh, that there are handrails and there are signs. And there are signs even to say, don't go over the handrails. 
uh, because the very thing that is most beautiful about the mountains, those 100 metre uh, high cliff faces, 300 metre drop to the bottom of the valley, are indeed uh, deadly if you don't treat them with the respect that is their due. And so you ignore the warning at your peril. But if you hear the warning, you receive all the benefits of what you see and experience up in the mountains. Well, how much more so when it comes to God wonderfully speaking to us today that we may enter his kingdom. Enter his kingdom while there is time. And how do you do that? Well, before I uh, get to that, Verse 31, it, there's no, this isn't up on the screen. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. This is King Herod, who's meant to be in charge in Galilee. Uh, Jesus replied, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Why would Herod want to kill Jesus? Does he want to kill him because of the, uh, uh, as gets mentioned here, he's driving out demons and releasing people from captivity that way, or healing them from sickness and releasing them from their enslavement that way? You know, <laughs> What good reason does Herod have to kill him? And of course the answer is none other than the reason that Herod encapsulates or epitomises that is reflected in all our lives without God's intervention. That we do not want anyone telling us what to do. As deceptive as that path is, that is where sin will take us, left unchecked. But Jesus says, I will complete my mission. And his mission is to die as one of the prophets in Jerusalem. And to say that he is one of the prophets, the prophets were the messengers of God. God had been sending them for a long time, calling people back to himself, lovingly saying, repent, turn back to me. Jesus is saying, by including himself among the prophets, that that is what he is doing. But also, unfortunately, that he will share in the pattern that people reflecting the character of sin will, will kill the messenger, hoping to quash the message. But it will be different with Jesus, for he will rise again from the dead as we celebrate at Easter and indeed every time we are together. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He's expressing stern, uh, confronting, challenging warnings on his way there. But he is on his way there because of his deep and profound love for each one of us. People he is gathering from the east and the west and the north and the south, not limiting God's blessing to the people of Abraham in the nation of Israel but the people of Abraham who do what Abraham did 
who are not religious but repent so that we may have life. I keep saying we'll come back to uh, this, this notion of repentance and it, it, it links in with the question that I hope that you asked yourself uh, earlier on when Jesus speaks of entering through the narrow door. Did you ask yourself at that time, well, what exactly does that mean? And I take it in the context in, in what's going on here in the midst of this conflict. He's saying what God longs for, the right way for you and I to respond to him is not to be religious and put on a show or to boast in the things that we think will impress God or that impress each other in the name of God. The 1 Corinthians passage from Paul comes back to mind there. But rather not be religious but repentant. To repent is to recognise you're going in the wrong direction and turn back. I don't know if you've ever had the, uh, the uh, unpleasant experience of turning down a one-way street or even worse, down one of those freeway ramps where you're confronted with the sign. You all know what it says. Wrong way, go back. I have come down the hill turning left into Russell Street and found a poor person who is in the immediate emotions and intense feelings that comes with having started the wrong way uh, toward the oncoming traffic on the freeway. They, they were okay. But what Jesus is saying is, I don't want shows of religion from you, uh, from me. He wants the repentance that lays down the authority that we take upon ourselves that says, I know better and trusts the one who truly does. Jesus, we see again today, is the one who challenges us and at the same time has compassion on us. He confronts us and he saves us. Indeed, look at the love that he expresses, even as he uh, puts it in words uh, for Jerusalem in verse 34. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. By the work of the Lord Jesus in us, may we be people willing to be gathered to him. Now, one of the things that we need to therefore remember, it's a challenge to us today, is to recognise that God is not impressed by appearances. He actually sees the reality. And so one of the things, and you may have heard me say this before, which I hope will be a reflection uh, of that repentance in the life of our church, is we don't need to put on a show for one another who are brothers and sisters in Christ here we don't need to keep up appearances when everything's going crazy in the background, uh, going in a difficult direction, going in a challenging direction, even going in an awful direction. In God's love for us, he meets us not on the surface, uh, but in the depths of the reality of our lives, and he transforms us. And so we know better than anyone else 
that our lives are messy, that my life is messy, that your life is messy, and we can meet each other in that. God in his kindness meets you and I wherever we are at. And in his power and love, he doesn't leave us where we are at. And so we can be real with one another. We can speak with appropriate people about the the different challenges and difficulties as well as the joys that we face. And may our life together as a church be marked by that. The other thing to say at this point is we have a great uh, heritage being members of the Anglican Church. I don't often rave about being part of the Anglican Church, but I'm just going to do it for a minute. Uh, Some of you will be refreshed to hear that I do it at all. Uh, But one of our heritages is uh, those who have reflected on the word of God and put together our prayer book and our 39 articles and the other formularies that have shaped over 500 years or or thereabouts, not quite, uh, the church that we are a part of. And I don't need people or want people to become Anglicans as such. I want them to be people who are repentant. That's what God wants. And so we need to be careful that we don't just get caught up in the traditions that we are used to uh, and put on a show of religion to each other or to others. But rather, what is being changed in our heart is reflected in our actions. And our actions reflect our changed heart. For Jesus has come now the first time and he will return again. The days are short. The opportunity to accept the invitation is so wonderful and extraordinary. I pray that you have met Jesus today again, been reminded of him again as the great challenger and comforter, the one who is both powerful and merciful. And you will say with me, And with all who have gone before us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we ask today that you would continue to do this mighty work in us, that we might be people who repent and do not perish, Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you know all our needs, as we were reminded earlier today, and that you have met this, our greatest need. And so we pray that each day, help us, we pray, to be real and uh, reflective of our challenges, our circumstances, our temptations and our sin to bring them before you and call upon you for all our needs, to share them with one another, that we might lovingly serve one another, each as the gift from you to the other. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that our lives might be marked by the transforming repentance that always trumps religion that is your gift to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.